Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Carol Woodack, who is from the Seniors Action Liaison Team, SALT, SALT, which is a social action group within a membership of seniors. And we're going to be speaking in regards to long-term care. So let's have a listen. Thank you so much, Carol, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. And um, before we get started, I just wanted you to give you the opportunity, the chance to speak about a little bit about yourself and your group, SALT. Mm-hmm. Yes. Go ahead. I'm delighted. There's a lovely story there. Perfect. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, I don't have a health background or healthcare background, which mm-hmm. most people in this area do, I think. Most people who advocate about care systems. Uh, my background is human rights and civil rights. Uh, so I look at it with quite a different lens mm-hmm. and often find myself thinking things are important that other people don't see at all. Yes. And, but, uh, but, I, but it's a very real part of healthcare services and one that's usually ignored. For instance, yes. seniors' rights in care facilities. That's correct. Uh, okay. Uh, my obsession with uh, elder care started, of course, in 1995, when my mother had what turned out to be the first of many, many strokes. And until then, I don't think we'd given any thought to the care system. Mm -hmm. But we immediately discovered how fragmented, how inappropriate, how scattered, how difficult it was to access, let alone how unsatisfactory it was once you got in. And and, uh, she died in 2006, but it was two years before I didn't wake up at night in tears, remembering some of the things that happened. And so it was a life-changing event for me as well. Mm-hmm. I think that happens to a lot of people. Yes. We don't think about it until we need it, and then it's not there. Okay. Absolutely. You know, you're absolutely right. And then just a little bit about uh, the group, SALT. Mm-hmm. Um, SALT was formed... In the midst of the Klein cuts, I think the whole world knows about Ralph Klein. Mm-hmm. Unlike your Mike Harris, he didn't live to benefit from <laughs> the system he created. He died in one of his facilities in 2013. Um, but there was an organization called Society for the Retired and Semi-Retired here, and it was a not-for-profit community organization. Some of them got really uppity and started lobbying the government and advocating for changes to things and being, in general, a nuisance. The Klein government then responded by threatening to remove all their funding and by removing their not-for-profit classification. Okay. So there are some members of the group decided to change. They formed the Seniors Action and Liaison Team, which has no affiliation, no status, no funding, no commitments, no loyalty to anyone other than ourselves. So throughout that period, and indeed now, we're able to say things that other organizations can't. Yeah. Yeah. And and that, that freedom and that ability to maneuver with the public, to talk about things nobody else wants to talk about. Uh, is is very precious to us. It's a very important part of the civil society, which we don't see a whole lot of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And your group is located in Alberta, is that correct? It's in Edmonton. Okay. 
We have about 51 members. We're slowly dying off. But new seniors now are beginning to come at least to attend a meeting. Uh, we have no membership. We have no eligibility. We have no, no fees. Yeah. If you're interested in these issues, want to do something about them, come and, come and join us is our philosophy. Uh, it puts a great deal of onus on the members. Not everybody's up to that, but mm -hmm. we do what we can. Uh, so that's where we're at. The pandemic hits on all of the issues we care about. Social justice, health care, elder care, education, environment, employment, you know, the whole, the whole range of things are, is being affected. And in some ways, it's given us an opportunity to try to mobilize people that we didn't have before. Um, so we do what we can. Yeah. You know, we, we don't have meetings any longer, but we keep in touch with email and telephone and we work each work on our own little projects and uh, keep ourselves yeah. safe. Absolutely. And then, so I guess with the, during this pandemic, what has been the, I guess, the main drivers for your, um, for your group at this time? For me, it's elder care. Always yeah. has been, always is, always will be. Okay. Um, for other people, it's different things. There are people who are primarily concerned about the dangers to our public health care system. People who are terribly concerned about education and what's happening yes. to both elementary, post-secondary, uh, and post-secondary education in this province. Um, others have, you know, different issues. Might be the environment. Might okay. Be whatever it is, housing and transportation are big issues as well. So many different and then just yeah, long-term care is just one aspect of is, what you guys are yeah. working on. So going into that, so in the province of Alberta right now, there's been a number of changes uh, with the legislation of Bill 30 and Bill C-7. Um, what are the impacts of these two particular bills on health care oh, pertaining to long-term care? Um, those are not good pieces of legislation, obviously. Yeah. Um, Bill 30 tries to privatize the healthcare system again. We've been here before, yeah. beat them back somewhat, but not enough. Um, Bill 32 pretty well takes away, changes the Employment Standards and Labor Relations Acts to relieve the government of the bother of protections employers, employees mm -hmm. have. In fact, the whole union movement is under serious threat from a number of those pieces of legislation. Mm -hmm. And that's going to affect the social organizations as well, because yes. unions fund a great deal of things and union workers provide mm -hmm. a great deal of support for those organizations, of course. Um, <clears throat> in fact, you know, it, it's been so obvious to me that what Jason Kenney is doing is simply trying to change our whole society. And it's a very serious threat. Yes. It's around democracy to election funding. All of those things together affect all of us. So it's, it, you know, and, and particularly he's trying to help to privatize the entire public service, not just healthcare and, and seniors care, but the whole service he's yeah. contracting out He's laying people off. One of the ways these governments 
try to change the system to encourage privatization is simply to reduce the service, to ration the service, to stop yeah. providing some things, which saying to people they can buy it from the private sector. <clears throat> and of course, that has not worked well. Yes. So obvious right now that has not worked well. It wasn't working well before COVID. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly not working well now. Now, uh, one of the things that Kenny has tried to do is normalize COVID. And he did that first by saying that, well, now look, you know, 80% of the people who are dying are seniors in care facilities. Yeah. And their average age is 83. But you know, they only, the average age they should expect was only 82, which, which is pretty gross. Yeah, right? yeah. He's also tried to blame it on, well, these people are ill, implying that that's their own fault. And, you know, if you didn't yeah. keep safe and healthy before, then you shouldn't complain now. He's tried to tell people that the homeless, for instance, have a built-in immunity to COVID. And so we don't have to worry so much about them. He has done things that just sort of make you shiver. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely, because I know there's been a lot of physicians that have left uh, the province due to these changes. Yes. Klein destroyed hospitals. He uh, destroyed the continuing care system. Uh, he fired thousands of nurses and we've never recovered from those cuts. And now Kenny is taking on the doctors. And uh, he didn't like what they were asking for in the negotiation around their new settlement. Mm -hmm. So he passed legislation that allowed him just to trash it. Yeah. And uh, so currently they're working without, they're working whatever he chooses to give them. And God love them. You know, they're not prepared to leave right now, most of them. But mm -hmm. most of them are planning to leave, I would think. Yes. Um, it's really very sad. I cannot imagine why anyone would want to antagonize a group like the doctors. Yeah. Because that is one loss that people will see almost immediately. Yeah. You know, we never did have quite enough access to primary care anyway, possibly too many specialists, but primary care, the home care systems are not working very well. And that's only going to make them so much worse. And it has... You know, the whole thing has had another effect and, and the doctors have been trying to draw attention to this. That it isn't just COVID that is taking up the care time of hospitals mm -hmm. and health facilities and institutions. It's all of the other things that are now not being given the attention yes. that they need to keep people safe and well. And, uh, and we're, we're seeing, we're beginning to see that. We're beginning to see people dying because they can't access emergency surgery or something. Yeah, because it's affecting just about everything within healthcare. Yeah. Now, sorry, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm just saying, <clears throat> what I see in other provinces, Ontario isn't doing so great. You have Doug Ford. <laughs> yes. Um, Manitoba and Saskatchewan are getting the surprise of their lives because yeah. they thought they were well on the way to reducing public services quite safely, and all of a sudden they're not. The Maritime Provinces, Atlantic Canada, and British Columbia have done a bit better. And I, I'm hoping that people everywhere see those contrasts. Yes. Um, and I'm hoping that the people who, the, the leaders who don't see that, who, who are trying to ignore 
COVID and what a risk it is to everything, including our precious economy, for heaven's sakes. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll recognize why that's happening, why, why some places are being hit worse than others. Alberta hit a couple of records yesterday. Yes. At the highest rate of infection in the country. Yeah. The highest number of deaths so far in a day, reported in a day. We're very much aware that our data system is sadly, sadly lacking. We're not getting information. We're not getting timely information. We don't know what they're keeping track of and what they're not. We're concerned about some things that they seem to be ignoring. Uh, the, the reporting is very vague, yes. always. And I think this is another indication that what our system needs is more transparency and accountability. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And now let's go into, I guess, with the weekly testing of staff. Is that still ongoing as well as their pandemic pay? Or Uh, has that been forgotten? The pandemic pay hit a snag. Um, There was $300 on the table from the federal government with the proviso that the provincial government had to provide a a portion of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Kenny has only used $30 Mm. Not everybody's been getting it. He okay. has made sure that staff in most of the bigger private care facilities got it, but the support workers did not. And the people in unionized public facilities have not seen it yet. So that's that's really been a tragedy for those folks mm-hmm. because $2 an hour may not be much, but if you're earning minimum wage as many yes. as you are, it's, it makes a big difference in your life. The, the uh, testing, both the uh, testers and yep. the labs dealing with the test results and the tracking went to hell about three months ago. We don't know who's getting tested. They keep changing the, the, the limitations. Uh, right now, I think you have to have be showing symptoms or to be in a situation where you have been directly exposed to COVID in order to get a test. They've just decided to try some rapid testing in the care facilities, which is months too late, whether it's 100% accurate or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least then they could have tracked where it was coming from. Um, So, but they are trying, they are doing some of that now. So, you know, we're we're hopeful. They're also trying to hire more trackers and, you know, more people to help with the system. And I understand they're sort of trying to poach from WestJet and places like that. Oh, okay. Why anybody would leave a job to go into that is a bit bewildering. They must be really concerned about other people's welfare because those are high-risk jobs. Yes. Oh, absolutely they are. Um, So then that brings it in terms of the designated family members. And the, sorry. the designated family members and the support persons. That was, um, a, that was just a terrible decision. Um, family members here provide probably more than half of the care that anybody in a facility gets. And only probably less than half of the people in our care facilities have family or, or yeah. friends who can care for them. So those people often end up helping others. When I went up to help my mother with her meals, I would usually be feeding three or four other people at the same time because there simply weren't staff. And I'm sure the situation is worse now. Mm. So 
I don't know why they just banned family members. You, you might have some idea about that because there's no evidence that I see, no indication even that it's the family members that we're bringing COVID into the facilities. I think it's pretty clear it's been the itinerant staff yeah. who are largely, unfortunately, responsible for that. Um, so I don't know why anybody thought putting elders who were already frail into solitary confinement for months would improve anything. Um, so that's been modified. Mm -hmm. And now the, the basis for the change was that everyone could have one or two designated people to come in, right? Yes. Unfortunately, at the same time, they changed the system so that the op facility operators were responsible for whatever policy applied. Yeah. But we have some where you know, one, one of my friends and colleagues has his wife in a facility and he has smooth talked his way into visiting for two hours every day to help her with a meal and their help in making sure that she maintains a, you know virtual contact with him and telephone contract and contact and so on and others who can't even get into the facility to see a family member so so if it so basically you're saying like what's happening is is that with the increasing cases in the province right now family members are still experiencing lockout from the facilities yes they are yes that that's um, i classify that in the mean and petty side of the ledger and we, yeah. we have a lot of mean and petty kinds of things happening here right now that's uh that's that's very unfortunate and very, you know, impactful for both the, the resident and for the family member to, to see uh, that. Absolutely. It's very traumatic for families. Yeah. Yes. It, I mean, having someone in the care facility is traumatic enough, but not yeah. being able to see them knowing that they're not getting properly cared for, not having any emotional support or social interaction mm -hmm. is really awful. Yes. And then back in August of this year, August, uh, there was a, a waiver that some family members had to sign uh, indicating that they are putting themselves at risk of COVID-19 if they were to um, go into the facility. Does your group see that as that was supposed to deter families from going into these facilities? Yes. Well, basically, you know, it came in two parts. And the first part was just you had to sign an acknowledgement that you were responsible for obeying all of the restrictions and, you know, precautions mm -hmm. uh, that, that were ordered. Um, and the second part said that, that you uh, waive any responsibility if you caught COVID, or so if you caught COVID yeah. or suffered any other harm from visiting the facility. And we think that happened just because of the lawsuits. Mm -hmm. It was the lawyers of the uh, operators Association here who, who came up with that draft. Some facilities have changed it a bit. It's still out there. Yes. And so I so I gather some people are signing it, which is really an abuse of civil rights. I mean. And that's, uh, it's kind of like pressured filled as well, because they're dangling that carrot in front of the family member. And of course, you know, it's, it's so coercive. And there's another thing that's happening out here, and I don't know if it's happening in Ontario or anywhere else, 
uh, but it's been going on for years. And that is that the facility has reserved the right, has been given the right, has, has acknowledged to have the right to ban any family member or any visitor who is troublesome. And that includes complaining about care. Oh. And they use the Trespass Act. Yes, yes. That's done here as well in Ontario. And there's no recourse. You know, the, the, the entire system, the entire continuing care system, and I think this goes through the healthcare system as well, is based on no oversight, no appeal body. Alberta Health Services have their own concerns resolution branch. They, they call it something else. It's, it's PR exercise. It's absolutely ridiculous. You, you're, you're basically going to the people who caused the problem to say, please fix it. Yeah. And I expect it's even worse with the private facilities. There is supposed to be incident reporting. It's required of facilities to report any incident in which there is sort of any kind of in, kind of injury or assault or anything. We don't know what happens to those reports. They've been going into a black hole for years. Nobody knows what's going on in there until yeah. until there's a tragedy that gets media attention. So I guess so. Then you're saying I guess with the inspections, this has been weakened over the years. Oh. Well, in the first place, in Alberta, uh, the standards for accommodation and for health services in both uh, long-term care and designated supportive assist, designated supportive living mm -hmm. uh, facilities were developed by the operators. The government gave them the grant money to develop the okay. standards. The bureaucrats then tweaked a bit, but that's what we got. There's nothing specific in them. The building codes are pretty well repeated in the accommodation standards, but there is no tenancy protection or anything else. Uh, in the health service protection, it's left up to the operator to, to determine what the appropriate staffing level or the appropriate care plan or whatever else is. So you, you, they're, they're really not much good. Yeah, so basically, so how would we, well, I guess in, in your province, in Alberta, how would this be able to make the inspection process a lot more stronger and to be able to enforce non-compliance? Well, and the, the other thing about that is that I gather that most of the inspections, because the reports are so limited and so vague, mm -hmm. in, but what I hear from the operators is that the inspection process, unless it's with respect to a specific complaint, in, involves the inspector going into the office and looking at the policy book and the timesheets and seeing if everything's okay. There is no way I would trust this government or most of the governments we've had for the last 40 years to develop and enforce regulations. And I keep telling people, well, I never thought I'd say this, but the federal liberal government is prepared to talk about that. So let's go with what we got. Exactly. Um, so I guess on another question that we have is, what has your group heard about the, in terms of the recovery process for COVID-19? I'm sorry? The recovery process oh, for when someone... Um, that's something that's dear to my heart. 
it can have very serious consequences. It can have very long-term consequences. It's far more debilitating than most people ever expected it to be, I suppose. I suppose we all thought it was a variation of the flu. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps people who had had some contact or knowledge with SARS or with H1N1 would understand differently. But what what's particularly uh, interesting to me are the long haulers. Yeah. Because in the mid 80s, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia syndrome. And that's what those symptoms sound to me like. And I've lived with that for a long time. And I know not only how difficult it is, how demoralizing it is, um, and how expensive it is for the economy, if anybody ever stopped to think about that. Yeah. But it's had no research attention at all to speak of. And I'm hopeful now that COVID has been shown to have do the same sorts of things to people, that maybe there'll be more effort to find out what's exactly what's happening to your body and how it can be managed better. Yeah, absolutely. And then with the model of care in long-term care, does your group see this as that it should change going oh, forward? And that, and not an, in addition to that as well, that there should be a, mo a national model being provided by the federal government, as you alluded to uh, before about the liberal government? Absolutely. You know, there's, there's no question that all of the provincial governments have failed to deal properly with, with not just with the pandemic, mm -hmm. but they were caught completely off guard when the yeah. pandemic struck. And that is ridiculous. And I keep hearing about the reports that were done after SARS in particular. We knew what we needed to do. It was obvious. We knew this was going to happen again. And we did nothing. I think the federal government has figured that out, at least. And so I'm going with the policy alternatives, higher standard of care document, which makes sense to me. If the federal government does its standard development properly, with mm -hmm. consultation, with input from the consumers, from the families, from the public, and also advice from all of the academics who've been studying this forever, yes. uh, we could come up with conditions that would keep people safe. And if we tied that to the funding yes. and established penalties for abuse, negligence, whatever, failing to comply. Um, I, th I think we'd see some changes. And I think most of the provinces, e even here in Alberta where Kenny thinks that Trudeau is evil and, and can trash him at the same time he pockets millions of dollars <laughs> federal yeah. aid, which always sort of amuses us, um, I, they'll fall in line. Mm -hmm. we, we had something similar happening with the negotiations around the Canada Health Act, you know, too. The province is saying, no, no, hands off, that's mine. You just give me the money and I'll do what needs to be done. And we know that hasn't worked very well. And we know that the federal government has tentatively, in some cases over the years, put some conditions on the funding. Yes. And you just need to do that with bells on. 
And then how would you see in terms of, I guess, should it continue as like the warehouse model in terms of that building? Because, I mean, that's not sustainable to continue going forward. That, that, that's a ridiculous way to care for people. Um, I had, we had perhaps an advantage because my, my husband's mother lived in England. Mm-hmm. And when she needed care, more than was available from the community, um, he had to find a place. And what he'd learned from dealing with my mother, too, was helpful with that. He knew what to look for, her, what, what to mm-hmm. watch out for. Uh, and it wasn't until after Erica died that I went there, but I, I did get a tour of the facility she lived in. Now, it was a huge facility up in Manchester, uh, but it was divided. Mm. It was divided into component units, and they would have maybe 10, sometimes less, people, each with their own room in this unit. It had three different dining areas, so that if you... and if you wanted to be alone, you could. Yes. If you wanted to be in, in the big dining lounge, you could. Uh, they had five different bathtubs in just in that unit because what they had found was that some people like this and some people like that. Like some people, if you put bubbles and a jacuzzi mm-hmm. thingy in it, love to have their bath. Yes. Other people thought it was a little more practical, I suppose. But they had worked out and they had staffing. The unit had staff, not facility, mm-hmm. so that there was a continuity of staff. And as far as I could tell, it was a dementia unit. As far as I could tell, those people understood very well what was happening to folks with dementia and were able to respond to it. That was that was one of the most encouraging afternoons I've spent, to, wow. to, know, to see that it was possible to do things differently. Because of course we can't, we can't, with our population density in urban areas mm-hmm. right across the country, yes. doing small community facilities would be really tricky. I think, and it might be possible, but it wouldn't be possible. I think for the entire population. So we have to work out alternatives. The other thing was, even though that that facility was an old building, they had updated the heating and ventilation system and you know Mm -hmm. so that I expect they probably did better through the pandemic than buildings that did not have any of those considerations given because most of our care centers across the country I'm quite sure are just infection traps yeah and then so what your group what, what would you say is the main point or some of the main points that your group would say that for elder care, for that elder care and long-term care to change going forward? What would be the main points that you would um, want to get across? Well, I, I'm, for a start, I'm with the higher standards document. Okay. Uh, and I think they start with staffing conditions or care conditions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I think a lot of the details will depend on the community it's happening in. Um, And I don't know what those details are. I don't know what the options are, but I know there are people who do know. Yes. What kinds of environments would be not only safe, but comforting, comfortable for people. And 
there are a few facilities here, um, one I know of, that has engaged in something that's called the Butterfly Project. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And <clears throat> I don't know whether that's sort of strictly prescribed or whether they're a set of conditions or exactly how it's managed, but I did spend an afternoon with them. Yes. And these are people that in my mother's care facility would have been screening or walking the halls or yeah. and they were they were they were they felt safe. Some so were I get, very busy and some were not. Uh, but so having, yes, there are there are there are ways to do this and I think we just need to find out what the options are and choose the ones that are appropriate. Yeah. For, Whatever, wherever we're thinking now. And then I, I think that just for it to be more specific to the actual person, their needs and yes. their requirements, that would be the better foundation to start from. Absolutely. We are looking after individual people. We're not looking after a herd of cows. I mean, yes. Yes. Absolutely. And just yeah. to... You know, the drugs. Mm-hmm are another problem. Even, yeah. even now, the drugs are another problem. Uh, and, and I do know what those drugs do to people. They don't comfort them, they don't help them, they don't cure them, they don't necessarily even restrain. Yeah. But that, that shouldn't be necessary. And it shouldn't necessarily be used either as a, another type of restraint um, that they refer to as well. Yes. No, I've, I, I, no, there's, you're doing something wrong if the restraints are needed. Yeah. So I guess in closing, I guess, you know, was there anything else that you wanted to speak to about um, what needs, what else needs to be done or looked at uh, in terms of long-term care within, not only just within the province of Alberta, but across the country as well? Uh, public funding, public delivery, which is the goal. And I think if it stops being a good investment opportunity, we'll see the end of the big chains. Mm -hmm. uh, it should not, we should not be providing care for profit. Just, yeah. That's just bottom line, right? Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I'm concerned about is that we're not going to get there until we're very sure that our, very sure of our own values and principles mm -hmm. and, and our democracy is working and that we are able to develop communities that care about each other as well as themselves. Yeah. It, it's so sad for me because my, my grandparents were pioneers in this province. And from them, I learned about community and the importance of people working together to provide the common needs of people accepting individual differences of people doing what needed to be done for yes. themselves. And I don't know what happened to that, but I don't think we're going to be able to care properly for our elders until we get some of that back. And, and so I'm really worried about what Jason Kenney is doing here to social cohesion, mm -hmm. to the whole idea of responsibility for other people, to the necessity to protect instead of just do away with regulations so that business feels more comfortable. Uh, 
And so I think I think we're being bombarded on all sides and we have to take care of them. Yes. I I wouldn't I definitely agree with what you're saying. And I think that needs to be that's what we need to check ourselves to see what do we want? You know, is this a applicable care that we should be providing? Is this what we want? Um, you know, that it's like the gold standard, treat others as how you like to be treated. And not just because someone is living in a facility that, and it's behind closed doors and they're forgotten about because they're. You know, one of the other things that, that strikes me is most, most people have no idea how to care for ill people, particularly when there's mental issues involved, mental mm-hmm. health issues. Uh, and dementia is scary. There's no question. Dementia is scary to the person who has it in most cases, mm-hmm. and it's certainly scary to the people around them. And I think that that might be something new, uh, that that might be something that evolved out of our changing sense of family mm. um, and our, I, I suppose, when public services take care of us, we don't really think about our individual responsibility for that yes, or for providing the care it doesn't. And so I think we need to understand a little bit more about aging. I think we need to accept aging as part of human life mm-hmm. and and learn better how to live with it, which is really a silly thing to say, isn't it? Because it happens to all of us. But <laughs> yeah. But I, I think uh, I think probably that's something about values. Yes, absolutely. And, and so I think we need to work to make sure that there's an appropriate value system, at least for most people. Yes, to be able to make sure that this is still a, a message that's still talked about. Now, how do, if someone wants to become involved with your group, how oh, do they reach out to you? Come on to a meeting or phone us. And, we have a website, it's okay. saltalberta.ca. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, one member who has taken responsibility for that, and uh, he's, he's finding it's hard to organize <laughs> because we're all over the map, but he's yes. working on it. Uh, but you'll have uh, uh, my phone number. My husband is chair of SALT, okay. and I'm one of the three vice chairs. So our number is on the website, and it's in the seniors' directories in the province. Uh, just come along. Perfect. I'll put that as well in the um, description box so people can be able to go to your website Absolutely. and your put your email address in there. And again, I just want to thank you so much, Carol. This has been um, wonderful to be able to speak with you as well as to find out what's happening in, um, in your area, in, in uh, Alberta. So thank you so much for coming. I think this is a wonderful project you're doing. And I've yeah. been telling all of my members and all of my digest mail list to take a look at your podcast because that's important. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode and hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please leave a comment as we would love to hear your feedback. Please follow us on Twitter at Family Councils and Facebook at Family Councils Collaborative Alliance. Again, thank you.